Well, back into the world of, uh, of Tommy Karate Patera. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Chaluminati, Episode 8, Tommy Patera, Part 2, <laughs> Dash, Karate Murderer. It's been a little Tommy while since we... Tommy Karate we've... Part 2, The Eight Schools of Kung Fu. <laughs> <laughs> the... the I... I don't even know. I, I just. I don't even know. It doesn't talk about the type of karate he practiced. Maybe it's just karate, but uh, in the book. I mean, I'm curious if there was a particular school of martial arts. Our dear Tommy Patera. Uh, I think. Dis- I think karate is a thing. Is like, it? It's yeah, like a, it might be. Yeah, I think it's a thing. I don't know if it's a thing. I don't I know shit about the martial arts. I am. If you look at me, I'm right now. I'm wearing an esports Pokemon jersey. Oh, heck that is opposite of martial arts. It, that's true. I took martial arts up until the age of 13. So oh it's my been God. over 20 years <laughs> since uh, there are that. many, many types of karate. I took Taekwondo specifically. Yeah. There are four early styles and several late styles for those who are masters. Is that, oh how do God. you know this? Are you a secret master, Jesse? Uh, I'm a master of google.com. Yes. Oh, okay. Is your gotcha. dad's my karate. karate? All right. <laughs> I'm not, I don't know karate, but I do know Koreze. <laughs> <laughs> I know Gaugale. <laughs> Oh my god! Uh, all right, well, <laughs> let's uh, dive back into the world of 1970s, 1980s uh, New York, Gravesend specifically, uh, with our good boy Tommy Karate Patera. Grave you missed scent. part one. I'm still mad. I'm still mad about Gravesend. The Gravesend, uh, even worse. Even saying. worse. That's where he came from, man. That's where he came from. Gravesend, get out of here. Po- it's Tommy. poetic in a lot of ways. See yourself Funny how that out. happens. A synchronicity, a, synch- a synchronicity of the world. Um, but if you missed the first episode, I go listen to the first one. We talk about Tommy Karate's childhood all the way up until the point where he went to Japan to study under a martial arts master for a little over two years, returned and worked his way into the mafia very soon after and became a made man, which is a, a proper member of one of the crime families of the mafia. Specifically for our dear boy Tommy, uh, it was the Bonanno crime family, in case you forgot. And that's where we left off. This episode, we're going to be talking about his uh, subsequent work within mafia, his rise to power in the mafia ranks, and a couple of interesting characters that are going to be necessary to talk about in the third and final part uh, in a couple of weeks when we talk about his subsequent downfall, uh, capture, and arrest. Um, and as, as most people go down, it, it's usually not the, the work of just Tommy effing up. Uh, it's more the work of those he kept close by and um, ended up doing, uh, maybe confiding a little bit too much information to people he thought were trustworthy. But that's going to, we'll introduce those characters we meant that We met them a little bit. We're going to get a couple more this oh, episode. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Two, two of the most important figures, I would say, is, is uh, going to be introduced in this episode. I hope the two of you are really ready for this because... I'm looking at this outline like... I'm not ready for this. At a, There's nothing at a li- prepared like, for this. First of all, we need to say that this is now part two of three, right? Yes, it's going to be a three-parter. And just looking at part two, we... Like, this man got busy. I had I left out quite a lot because it's just not something I can't just, you know, give every beat of his life. I picked the important parts. If you guys want to check out Tommy Karate and all that stuff, um, again, The Butcher by Philip Carlo is a great book for that. It just goes over his life in great detail. It's fantastic. So, Where'd you get it? You, uh, I got this at a Barnes & Noble, I think. Whoa. Old school. Yeah, yeah. I was at a bookstore, and I saw it, and I was like, this looks awesome. And then I did a little research, and I was like, I'm buying this book, <laughs> and I'm going to read it. And I think we're going to do a Chaluminati podcast op- uh, episode on it. Have you guys ever been to an Amazon bookstore? 
No, there's no. There is what? one in Boston, but I, I don't yeah. drive in. There's Boston. brick and mortar. Why would you go? Why it, would that? Well, what? I was I was just at the movies and I was waiting for it to start, and I was like, is that an Amazon <laughs> bookstore? And you know what they sell in there? I kid you not, a bunch of like very like sterile looking book stacks, and then like mostly Kindles. Of course, very weird. Yeah, that makes sense. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, I digress. <laughs> so, New York. 1980s, Tommy has worked himself into the mafia and did jobs for the mafia. I'm imagining he was played by Oscar Isaacs now. Yeah, I can, with, you know, seeing Tommy Karate, I can see Oscar Isaacs, you know, gaining a little bit of weight for the role and and maybe beefing himself up uh, a little more than he is. and Hiring his uh, register a little bit in his voice. Hey, uh, I I used to be in Star Wars. (laughs) Exactly. I'm a Star Wars guy. He'd make a good, he'd make a good uh, Tommy Patera. But... Tommy to himself, back in the mafia, uh, finally in the mafia, finally a made man, uh, and starting right out the gate uh, when he joined the mafia, working as an assassin. That was his calling almost immediately. And it wouldn't actually be long with Tommy in the mafia before he himself became known as a really top assassin among the crime families where he lived. Keep in mind, in the area he lived, there were five different crime families. He just worked specifically with the Bonanno crime family. The legends run into each other. They, they worked like, together oh my quite God, a lot. Is that Tommy Karate, the guy from the Bananos? And there's like actually Joey, yeah. Joey Ninjitsu and stuff. The other guys. Yeah. So actually, the way it works, and um, you know, and, and at least back then, is if a a family wanted somebody hit and killed, but they wanted somebody from another family to do it, they would go to the boss of the other family and ask permission to use one of their assassins, and they'd have to get their blessing before they would be able to contract, uh, say, Tommy to go work for another family to take out somebody. So it's exactly like the hierarchy of the vampires in Blade, is what you're saying. <laughs> I guess so, yeah, in a weird right, way. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, but they worked together, like I said in the first episode, they had a council of where the five heads of families would come together uh, every so often to go over deals and, and like lines and territory and, and jobs and et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, no, they worked together quite often. So um, the legends and rumors of Tommy actually were, uh, as soon as he started working, were, were nearly instantaneous. Uh, across the Bonanno crime family, uh, across the Bonanno crime family, badly enough to warrant your execution, and Tommy was the guy that they would call to take care of you. But it wasn't that he was so willing to kill that set Tommy apart. Most in the mafia were more than okay with killing. It, it's it's part of the business. It's how the mafia works. Cross any of their major rules, and almost always the punishment was death. What kind of set Tommy apart was how quickly, precisely, and cleanly Tommy did it. People didn't just die when Tommy went after them. They just disappeared. And Tommy was creative with his work. Big boss rating. Big boss (laughs) S rank. Yeah, he's just S ranking this entire thing. (laughs) That's exactly it. This is Um, crazy. No alerts. As an as an example as to how much he loved his job and how much he, he really paid attention to it, uh, Tommy clearly had a good time with his job. And he would go to extreme lengths to ensure that those he was sent to silence permanently never saw him coming. <laughs> One of his favorite tactics was the simple act of costumes. Get the fuck out of here. Get out. He's, he's like a fucking process server that like kills you. <laughs> he had two costumes of note that people oh, referred to him on. as. Come on. The first being that of an Orthodox rabbi. <laughs> this is Hello, Hitman, Hitman 47. Now, this is not real life. This <laughs> is not really real life. Is. It, re- it is Hitman. Yeah, you're yeah. right. You're right. 
He would blend and hide amongst the crowded streets, following basically who he needed to kill, however long it took him, and they would never be any the wiser. They were trust trust that the Orthodox rabbi wasn't going to <laughs> murder him. That would never. He would never take me out. <laughs> Not this <laughs> right, rabbi. But if a rabbi disguise wasn't really what was required for this particular person, perhaps he was a man that enjoyed partying at night and, you know, he only came out to drink and do drugs at night, his other costume was one that went along with his high-pitched voice rather well. That of a woman. What the fuck? I saw a picture of him. There's no way. There's nothing about him. (laughs) He looks like a murder. He looks like a human murderer. He just looks like a man who takes people out. He's a huge man. His... His grizzled like beard face, like he doesn't have a beard, but he has that like he looks like the goon five hours yeah. ago permanently face. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he looks like the goon. But hey, man, yeah. maybe you mix his high pitched voice with dim lights, a lot of drinks, and some drugs, and they're not seeing clearly what they have before you. And uh, he would basically coerce them into a night of boning, no, more or less. Listen, if and it was Oscar Isaac's, I would do it, even though I would be able to tell. <laughs> and excuse me are you oscar isaac <laughs> i am but come to my room uh, sure right. whatever <laughs> call me whatever you want come on i was supposed Once to meet a rabbi here don't worry about him <laughs> they walk into the <laughs> they walk into the room and the rabbi costumes just like heaped in a corner on a chair what did you do to the rabbi <laughs> i'm getting my characters mixed up don't worry about it who i don't know who that was supposed to be the, yeah, I don't know. I was like, did, did Tommy bring back a girl? I don't know which. Maybe he was killing a girl. Maybe. And we yeah. found out. If, even if he did, we found out if he, if he did, he just did it as respectfully as possible. Of course. Right. He wasn't a creep about it. No. Right. Okay. He was chill about uh, it. <laughs> so basically what he would do is get them away as far away as he could where he, he had things prepped and then he would just put a bullet in their head, chop them up and bury them far, far away. Uh, but those were, he had other costumes as well, but those are the two that uh, were reported on uh, when confessions were coming out and the like. So uh, those were his two go-to, I guess, in his career. God And they damn. teamed to work. Because those who saw Murderous Rabbi never had a chance to tell anybody. That's so cold to do the rabbi. Yeah. That's very, somebody, very much him not like caring. like dressing like a therapist and like killing somebody. Right. Yeah. No, it's, it's, you know, when you walk around as a rabbi, there's a, a inherent or any maybe religious leader, uh, there's, there's a lot of trust that gets instant instantaneously put upon you. I should uh, try it. <laughs> yeah, you should. Just to um, see, ex- just to see, not to kill anyone. Well, I would, yeah, I was, I would hope not. <laughs> no, no. Uh, but yeah, it, it is kind of monstrous, right? You, you dress up as a religious leader and you can kind of just disappear in, in, you know, with the crowd, people don't pay you any mind. They immediately will trust you for being who you are. And, uh, you know, especially in the mafia, I'm assuming, you know, they're always worried about being followed, but you see a religious leader, you know, oh, I'm safe. He's not Oh, that's just me. a rabbi. Right. Just a yeah. rabbi for the local temple. You know, synagogue. costumes are so, are so funny in movies in real life. They get so fucked up so fast. Like just thinking yep. about it. Yeah. But that was his thing. And it, just just the fact that he took time to take these costumes, it, it's clear that there was just an element, a little, a flair to his job, the way he took his job, how much he enjoyed doing what he did. His reputation had built so quickly that when walking into a room filled with other crime members, people would point and talk in hushed tones about him and what he was capable of, and others stood straight and treated him with nothing but respect. In a way, Tommy had achieved exactly what he wanted in life, power and respect. 
But there were still those who sat above him, assassins of the mafia that would get the better jobs because they were around longer, uh, had more trust still uh, from the from the higher ups. But Tommy was happy and more importantly, had become quite wealthy. While the crime families in the area had an agreement that they would not deal drugs on the books, at least. Oh, they all dealt drugs. (laughs) Every single family had their hands in some, quote, off the records, unquote, drug sales. While against the rules to sell drugs under the, say, Bonanno crime family name, if you sold them on your own as a personal kind of side business not affiliated with the crime families, you'd be overlooked. Who is the judge of that, first of all? Just real quick, who is the judge of that? I'm sorry. The heads of the crime families. The five heads of the crime families. I feel like it's one of those things where, you know, like in... um Goodfellas or whatever. No one really cares until you get your ass caught with stuff, and then yep. they're like, "We can't have you doing that." And Ex- then they take you out. That so is just exactly do whatever the fuck you want, but just be a gentleman. Basically, well, it's, it's I mean, it's, it's the rules of all the mob stuff, which is like we're on your side and we're good friends until you get caught or you goof in some way, and then we gotta get rid of you. If like, I was in the mob, I would never fuck around with like some side shit. I, I, you know, I, I don't understand why these people are tempting fate, especially when there's a man. Who will kill you dressed as a rabbi, and that's just a fact. (laughs) Well, I mean, crime, man. It doesn't pay. I was going to say, and here's the thing. Tommy did exactly that. He he sold a ton of drugs on the side. With the money he made from being an assassin, as well as how much money he made selling mostly cocaine. He opened a dry cleaners. (laughs) Well, with the money he made, he actually did. uh, So he sold mostly cocaine, marijuana, and heroin. He did not open a dry cleaner. He opened an animation studio and a theme park based on the mouse (laughs) that he created. (laughs) While While he didn't necessarily open a dry cleaner, he did open two bars. Nice, classy. Where everybody quietly <laughs> makes you disappear. Do we know the names of these bars? Yes, we do. Uh, the first Can we bar go was, visit these bars? I don't think they exist anymore. But the first bar was Cypress Bar and Grill in Cypress Gardens. Imaginative. And the second one was the Just Us Bar on Avenue S and West, uh, West 8th Street. I like to oh, think that that was Justice a lawyer. Bar. I, hope, I like to think that's a lawyer bar. hangout. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah Who's Justice here? Just bar. Us. I like that. And they justice. Were, justice Bar. Yeah, no, the pun. I, I, actually, from law- I wonder. You guys. I wonder, uh, I, no, I, I get I'm that. there. I, I see lawyers. I'm here. I'm with you. Yeah, the uh, joke was there. The, he, he, he fed off the joke. Guys, guys, guys. I yes ended that bit. I've taken the classes. <laughs> yes and. Oh, I got I to gotta keep. I'm write down notes right now. So yeah. Yes and. Yes and the bit. Um, though the bars, uh, though bars in name, and they did actually make him a good amount of money just from people coming in and out. Buying drinks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they were much more than that. Obviously, a place where Tommy and associates could meet up, talk deals, business agreements for drugs, and so on. Now, it's important to note there were no actual drugs sold in these bars. I mean, yeah, clearly. Don't shit where you eat. Come on. Exactly. And (laughs) exactly. And he kept it that way. Uh, The bar was treated as a bar and it was just this is where his deals went down and they would arrange other places to do meetups and and drug exchanges for money and the like. The bars, for the most part, outside of the deals were kept clean, quote unquote. During this time where he was buying bars and being successful, Tommy actually got married, even. Uh, He got married to a woman named Carol, and they had a child that they named Charles. (laughs) However, it it wouldn't be long before Carol uh, and Tommy ended up separating. Charlie Karate. (laughs) Chucky Karate. (laughs) Chuck Norris is his name. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, (laughs) Chuck Norris is Tommy Pateri's kid. 
I don't. I don't think so. I feel he, like that's not true. He Wilfred changed Brimley, his last name. Yeah, Wilfred Brimley was like, "Come on, Walker. <laughs> Come on, Walker. Uh, Texas Ranger." Um, yeah. yeah. So he had a kid. He got married to Carol. Had a kid, uh, but it, it didn't. The marriage didn't last long. Uh, they ended up separating. But even separated, Tommy did absolutely everything he possibly could to make sure his ex and their child lived a good life. So Japanese. Well, <laughs> I mean, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Uh, he he. While he wasn't present in their lives very often after that, he paid all of their rent, bought them food, clothing, and generally made sure they lived very comfortable lives. He just kind of watched over them from a distance, but kept his distance. That's such a but, movie criminal thing to do. Now, now yeah. it makes sense, though. As I like, as I was reading through this and reading the life of how the mafia and people lived during this time, it. I'm like, oh, the movies kind of were pulling from from fact, I guess. Yeah, they I did their research. I guess that's true. Like the Godfather is real, I guess. Yeah, I, I, it's it's crazy. Um, but Tommy had also in that time moved on romantically as well, and he was now dating someone else, someone that would become instrumental to Tommy's eventual downfall. And her nest name, rather not her nest, her name. <laughs> I get why you Celeste, said that now. Yeah, exactly, Celeste Lepari. Oh, Le get pa- out Le of Perry. here. <laughs> Celeste LaPerry, if you want to, you know, be uh-huh. me about it. Celeste <laughs> what, what? what are you implying? Nothing, nothing, nothing. I The name alone tells me this is bad news for Tommy. GTA, oh, MPC. Yeah, uh, this yeah. is this is the, yeah, if, if, if you if you were Cousin Nico yeah. and you found Celeste LaPerry, she definitely, one, lots of coke. Two is gonna kill you. Yeah. Swear. Oh yeah. Swears like a sailor. Three rats you out to the FBI. <laughs> There's only three <laughs> things a Celeste LaPerry does. I'm gonna imagine. <laughs> I know. This. I'm gonna imagine like Peggy Bundy. That's like where I'm <laughs> going in my brain. Well, oh my god. That's Cel- exactly what I think too. Yeah. Celeste was apparently a very gorgeous woman. Um, she had full lips, small waist. This is all detailed, by the way, in the book. This is full not lips, small I, waist, like- and a big behind. I need a dot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she yeah, she had a small waist, large breasts, and a perfect hourglass figure. She was very much your '80s girl uh, living in the the high. Oh, crime so she had life. like crazy '80s hair. Yep, she yeah. absolutely did. And since this was the early '80s, at this point, the '80s hair to go along all with that '80s fashion. So she is literally Peggy Bundy. She's in literally a lot Jessica of ways. Jessica Chastain from that movie with Oscar Isaacs that I'm thinking of. Yeah. However, stop, stop, stop it. I'm most violent Oscar year. Isaac so bad. I just want to have sex with Oscar Isaacs. <laughs> That's what we're getting out of this. That's what this episode is. I'm going to title yeah. this episode. I heard he Alex loves conspiracy Bone. shows. Yeah, I wanted to wait eight episodes before I opened the Pandora's box. Come <laughs> oh, get me, baby. Get, are, are we talking, are you like a top, a bottom, a switch? I'm not choosy. I'll, you know what? Right. Yeah, switch. It's the it's 2018. Right. I'm a gamer. All right. I'm the switch. Fair, fair enough. Yeah. For I, Oscar Isaacs, I'm with you. Yeah. I, I understand. What? the hell is happening right now (laughs) all right celeste while she was utterly gorgeous and uh i've seen pictures and she was very good looking woman um there was a little bit of a counterpart to that get when she spoke out of here oh my god she spoke she spoke with an incredibly rough very heavy brooklyn accent and she spoke according to uh the book peggy bundy she spoke out the side of her mouth with uh, a voice that sounded rough as though it was that of a truck driver. <laughs> She's Dr. Girlfriend from the Venture Brothers. 
Oh my god. Hello, Dan. Oh, baby. <laughs> Hello, honey. Oh, sweetheart. Yes. Let's go murder these people oh. together. Oh, oh you my god. sexy little Mickey Mouse. Oh, that's right. Hi. Keep in mind. Hi, baby. I love those high-waisted pants. Look at those two giant buttons. Oh, thank you. Yes, oh, thank you. I, I bet you could I beat somebody to death with those giant hands. Oh, oh yeah. I certainly do. <laughs> <laughs> I'll beat you to later with my wiener. <laughs> my wiener? <laughs> oh, stop. All right, all right. Good, good. I'm glad we're getting that out of the way now. Yeah. Uh, and scene. <laughs> at uh, the end of every good improv scene, that's how they end it. They, they all stand yeah. together at the front of the stage and they say, and, and scene. scene. Uh, I even wrote in the notes, man. Perhaps the polar opposite of Tommy's high-pitched voice poetically. That's fucking beautiful. Uh and the thing with Tommy, though, he utterly worshipped Celeste. She was, in almost every single way, his ideal woman. Perfect, his goddess. He adored her. Except one thing. Her voice. The one thing no. Tommy... <laughs> I told you, I know, I told you what I tell you! <laughs> the one thing Tommy hated the most about anyone that he dealt with. Celeste was an incredibly heavy drug user. Saw that coming a mile away. Damn. As we actually talked about in the last episode, while he dealt drugs, Tommy nearly completely abstained from them. He saw it as a way to lose everything. Mafia members around him lost everything and ended up dead because of drugs all too often. So he himself refused. Oh, Tommy. (laughs) Oh, I know exactly where this is going. She wasn't into him. She was into the drugs Tommy was selling. Tommy had a good woman and his first wife. He and Carol, they had a beautiful child, and he left her for this harlot who just wanted his drugs, and then she rats him out. I didn't think that the thing that was going to get Jesse fired up the most was, like, soap opera-level drama. (laughs) (laughs) But then again, what the fuck was I thinking? I mean, true. No, of course, of course this is his downfall. You know his downfall is going to be like, and then he was caught murdering people. No, it's like... The one he put his love into betrayed him. Oh, you're, man. You're on the I right track. You're on the right track. I, I know what's going to happen. I see uh, it clear as I day. still think, to tell you, Jesse, I'll say this, there are still some twists and turns in store for you. Oh my However, God. I'm ready. This is, this is a great story so far. Tommy himself refused to lose everything he had worked so hard for to something he considered so trivial. Drugs specifically. You control the drugs. The drugs do not control you was his motto. Again, something we talked about last episode. But Celeste was a big drug user, a nightly one, and her drugs uh-huh. of choice were cocaine, 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 yep, and bring the night down with heroin. Jesus Christ, she's just like ups and downs. Yes, she would. She would basically her nightly routine was to get really high on cocaine, and when she found when she was done partying, hit heroin to bring herself down. Um, and be- because of this, they fought constantly. He would threaten to leave her. She swore up and down that she would quit, but neither one of those things happened. She's not into you. Oh, see, don't you guys get it? Tommy was like, she's my perfect woman. And yeah. so he put her up on a pedestal, but she just just in it for the drugs, man. That's what she's like. I don't want to. Don't let me. Don't leave me. I love you. But she wanted that sweet, sweet nose candy. And Tommy <laughs> didn't know. He was too busy murdering and trying to get laid. This is Mickey he, yeah, Rourke. Got Mickey him. Rourke in Sin City right here. Pretty much. Yeah. He effed himself up. Oh, Tom, you big dummy. Oh. He's a big dummy. Moreover, at least immediately, it affected him with the, and his position within the Bonanno crime family. 
Celeste was infamous as a party girl amongst the Mafia uh, members, out nightly snorting coke and shooting up heroin to come down after. And while Tommy was highly respected, Celeste brought that respect down considerably. But he loved her, and Celeste wouldn't stop abusing that privilege. So Tommy, in his own mind, oh, tracked down no. what he blamed to be the source of her problem. Oh, no, if he Tommy. Come in, if he couldn't bring himself to blame Celeste for her own problems, Tommy was going to find someone he could blame and try and stop it there. So Tommy found Phyllis Birdie. Phyllis was Celeste's party partner almost every single night. And you found Celeste, if you found Celeste doing drugs and partying, you were likely to also find Phyllis there doing the same thing. But if you considered Celeste a heavy user, then Phyllis was a crazed addict. And it's Phyllis, Tommy decided, was Celeste's problem. So he approached her and genuinely and politely told Phyllis the following. And we quote, which one of you boys would like to take this under Mickey Mouse's wing? And uh, Jesse was just Jesse was just telling me before (laughs) this how much you wanted to do this. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, all right. Oh, boy. <laughs> Go um, for it. Phyllis, I have a problem, and I, I need your help. Celeste is out of control. <laughs> I don't want her using drugs, but I... Listen to me. Listen to me, bitch. I'm not blaming you for anything. I'm not saying you did anything. What I'm saying is that she can't control herself, and I, I'd really appreciate it if you made sure not to give her any drugs, ever. <laughs> she has a couple of toots. She starts drinking. Next, she's using heroin. Oh, I'd really appreciate this. Where do we somehow? Where do we get this tweet? Where do we get this like exact note from? Like, where where did it come from? Confessions during the trial. Oh my god! It's pretty okay. much where all these quotes come from. Uh, yeah, um, I'm sure. Like, you know, word for word, it's probably not remembered perfectly uh, by who who put it forth. But you know, that's just uh, that's just what uh, what they put forth as his quote. And uh, somehow. The Mickey Mouse voice makes it weirdly scarier. It really, it really, it, it's it's you're you're subverting the image of a childhood constant for me. What? <laughs> no, I, I definitely don't kill people, but I will cut your damn dick off if you mess with me. <laughs> Listen, I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm not myself this year. Okay, and I, this is not the problem that I want to deal with. It's Ryan Johnson's fault. It is. <laughs> he ruined my Luke Skywalker. <laughs> we took a hard turn into Disney properties. <laughs> Didn't mean to right get political there. in the podcast. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, sorry, guys. <laughs> sorry. Uh, well, after saying that, Phyllis responded by saying she never gave her uh, Celeste any drugs, ever. She just used them with her, and she would be absolutely sure oh, not to Phyllis turn is such her a liar. onto them anymore. Oh, Phyllis. Oh, I, I know everyone knows a Phyllis. Here's the thing. Phyllis I would do everything liar. that I could fucking do not to get killed by Tommy Karate, though. Well, that's what I'm, all these people. I feel like once if you're in it and not looking in from the outside, you don't see all the crazy stuff all these people are involved in. Yeah, right? like this is their world, and this to them is like normalcy. But yep. to us, we're like, this is nuts. No, I would be like, Tommy, uh, do you need a sandwich? Can I make you a sandwich? I, can I make it the exact way you want it because I don't want to screw the sandwich up? Like that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'd be like, okay, sure, whatever you say, Tommy. Yeah, and something important to note about both Celeste and Phyllis, uh, something I you know don't really talk about in here, is they were both born and raised in mafiadom. Like, their families and cousins were all involved in the mafia in some way. So this is, like, their world. Their dream, as, as it's pointed out um, during, re- in, during my research, is that their dream is to marry a successful made man. 
And that's what they want. They want to be married to their rich, like, criminals because that is the ideal for them. Uh, they understand two dangers come along with it, but the ends justify the means to them. As long as they get to marry somebody rich and powerful in their in their area. So this is their this is their everyday, man. So what happened? So after a handshake, Tommy warned her that it could become very dangerous for her if it continued. And then he <laughs> left. I would have driven out of town. I would have drove to New Jersey and lived there. I guess they were in New Jersey. I would have driven to New York south and just get got the fuck out <laughs> i would have gone to yonkers and <laughs> yeah hit it out never come back yeah. <laughs> hung, hung out with uh michael crawford and barbara streisand in yonkers new york yep <laughs> that's right and for the next few years things continued as they were they would continue to fight tommy would continually warn celeste that i mean warn celeste and phyllis phyllis and celeste would listen for like a night or two and then they'd be back partying again over and over. And, and Tommy, again, the thing that I even talked about in the first episode, Tommy, if he had a weakness or or an ounce, not even a weakness, an ounce of humanity in him, it came from women. He respected women. So while if it was a man doing this, likely he would have been killed on night one because it was Phyllis and Celeste and he you know had a, a an honor, kind of honor code in his own mind. He, for the next few years, warned Phyllis over and over and over again, and it never seemed to stop. But Tommy also did what he did best for the next few years. He killed when asked, sold drugs, made money, and garnered respect from those he worked alongside. But most importantly, Tommy continued to hone his killing. He still practiced martial arts, mind you, but the art of killing another person was now his passion. He had a rhythm to it, a process that had prevented him from not only getting caught, but had kept him out of the prying eyes of the DEA for so long. The DEA, they knew he was killing. Uh, that, that wasn't the issue. The question is, who was he killing and what was he doing with the bodies that they couldn't figure out? Tommy was under heavy scrutiny by the, the uh, early to mid 80s. They had both of his bars staked out and constantly bugged his cars. But Tommy was if anything, paranoid of being caught. He never used phones. Just a careful ever. boy, huh? Yeah, he ne literally never used phones. His bar was a place of discussion and business only. When he was outside, he'd speak in incredibly low tones and keep his hands around his mouth to not be lip-read. In his car, if they ever spoke business, he would blast music or white noise and drown out anything that would have been picked up by the bugs in the cars. He was and had become known as a ghost, both to the FBI and the DEA and to the mafia members that he worked with. So you're telling he me that like ghost. Harvey Keitel in Pulp Fiction is like real. Like, yes. Just like <laughs> get just get rid of just get rid of everything. Hide it. Yep. And it just works. Yep. That's exactly how we did it. Can man. you imagine I, being a law officer and knowing someone is a murderer and just being like, oh, well. Can't get him. So on the sides, kind of the side story that's going, obviously, is Jim, Jim Hunt and, and his team working on it. They, you know, I'm not going into too much detail about them because that's like a whole other story. Uh, but basically, all the while, they're working the fringes. They know there's massive stuff going on, and Tommy is kind of the centerpiece. So they're slowly hitting and, and finding people on the edges who buy drugs from his dealers and trying to work their way into the chain through there by posing as other dealers and making deals and buying drugs. Just trying to trying get him for something. 
Yeah, so they're getting a, they have a lot of fringe people at the moment that they have now been working with for maybe a couple of years. And they're starting to get more and more information on Tommy through these other people. But even that, the information they're getting from them is not really anything too substantial. Tommy, as far as being a murderer, was impeccable. He was so good at what he did. Uh, Tommy had a burial ground for his deceased, a, a personal burial ground. I think we talked about it a little bit in the first episode, but to get into more detail, the burial ground was a bird sanctuary on Staten Island. So far out of the way and so far outside the city that no one would see them going there. Govern- it was a government-protected land, meant not a single soul would ever wander through there. And it was massive. Mm. So finding anything, even if they wanted to, would be a challenge without direction or knowing where the bodies were buried. His method was clean and simple. Usually a bolt to the head to kill the victim. Then he would bring the victim to a bathtub and run the water at a temperature that would mix with the blood and help it drain. From there, he would bring out his autopsy kit filled with saws and knives made to cut through human remains. And he would dismember the body into six pieces. Two legs, two arms, torso, and the head. The body would then be bled put into plastic bags and those plastic bags would then be put into cheap travel bags and driven out to the bird sanctuary where he would then bar bury those suitcases very deep and then cover them well enough that upon looking around everything would seem normal and in 1987 this method would earn him the respect of the head of the bonanno family and in mafiadom that alone can be priceless so if they're so if they're watching his ass everywhere that he's going right like he's he's going through every possible like step that you could take to not get caught mm-hmm. and they because he knows that they're like following his ass constantly yes Wh- he's actually it's even noted in the book that sometimes when they were staking him out he would look in the direction of their of their stakeout in like almost in a taunting fashion like he would just like stare at them yeah. So how the fuck did he ever get out to this fucking sanctuary is my thing it's like <laughs> that's what I'm saying like so I don't understand I don't understand like it yeah cars, you have to so, working in the mafia, his cars would change constantly. He was never driving the same car for more than a couple of days. And they had a, a personal place that the, the FBI and the DEA didn't even know about until way late in the investigation, that after a job, the cars would be brought there, the interior stripped, the license plate changed, the whole car detailed, and then given back out to the crime fam- family, family's members. When they drive around, they would drive around and take random stops and random streets, and they would take hours to get where they were going, and, uh, tr- and make sure that they would not be followed the entire time. So they were never driving the same cars. They were never driving with the same people. They never got picked up outside their bar, usually. Um, usually they'd walk away from the bar and get picked up separately. So they, they went out of their way to ensure that they were not being followed. And this is also in the 80s, too. So tech it's is not, not as, exactly it's not as Yeah, it's not like cell phone shit. Right. I guess exactly. maybe a little bit, but not a lot in the 80s. Right, exactly. Yep. So, they, like I said, he they, they would, he would go out of his way uh, to make this to make this happen, and did, he did a really really good job for how paranoid damn right um, he was. Um, I heard you say Jesse early when I was talking about it. You were like, "Hmm, is that was the question that you had?" Uh, yeah, just, yeah. That's uh, there was there was. It just seemed like a lot of this was for someone being watched. He could do a lot. Yep, and. Another thing to keep in mind, too, as we talked about in episode one, a lot of the cops in the area, just the, the, the local beat cops, were paid off constantly. The The crime family kind of ran the city. It's more like a, a time- very stressed out guy in a van somewhere doing some work. Yeah, it's the, it's the DEA coming and dealing with it, you know, through, you know, bypassing 
through the the system and not really working with the cops that much. Right. But it was time for for uh, good old Tommy to really work his way up. Joe the Gentleman Messino. That was his nickname given <laughs> Joe him the, the gentleman. gentleman. Joe the Gentleman. The reason he was called Joe the Den- Gentleman is he was always incredibly well put together, clean and perfect, ta- perfectly tailored suits. He was uh, his. When you talked to him, he was incredibly polite and always respectful to no matter who he was talking to. He was just somebody that was very affable. He's got that Frank Sinatra like '40s gangster pronunciation where he like takes a minute to explain everything with good enunciation. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You know that's that guy. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Um, he was a new. He was a relatively new head of the of the Bonanno family, as the main head of the Bonanno family had moved. Uh, kind of retired, semi-retired, and moved away to Arizona. Right, uh, right, right. To... Moved upstate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He found a, um, a new place to be in another place, if you know what I mean. In a farm <laughs> upstate with the fishies. In <laughs> a fish <the> farm. <laughs> uh, Joey, you're, missing, you're mixing your metaphors here, Joey. <laughs> Don't talk to me <laughs> like you know me. My metaphors... <laughs> Oh, great. Yeah, Joey. Yes, Joey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, and well, Joey. Joe yes, the Gentleman. And. <laughs> yes, and Joey. Joe the Gentleman had recently actually put out a job. Um, he had recently ordered a hit on a man betraying him with explicit orders to kill him and then bury him deep after the job was done. The job had been given to Gabe Infante, and Gabe had, unfortunately disobeyed orders instead of burying the man deep he was left in a 50 gallon oil drum in new jersey the police quickly came across the body and came snooping around the messino's home putting him at great risk and in turn the bonanno family at great risk for being caught why isn't his last name bonanno Good question. <laughs> That's I, I didn't even think about that. Whatever. It doesn't matter. That's a good question. Yeah. Because probably the person who formed the crime family in the beginning, last name, was Bonanno. And then, you know, as they age and retire, new people I bet, get there, I bet there's some Bonanos in there. It's probably like I'm Wayne sure. Enterprises. Bruce Wayne's on the board, but he isn't like the president. Yeah. Right. This is more of a Lucius Fox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Type gentleman. S- Got it. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and the thing is, this was a big problem. Gabe not only disobeyed orders, but he disobeyed them so badly that it put everybody at risk. So, you know what that means? Gabe's days were numbered. Gabe's days were numbered. Gabe's day, baby. Gabe day, but numbered. Gabe's day, baby. <laughs> Messino had asked Tommy to take care of this problem for him. Prove that he's worth what people say he is. Tommy saw this as an honor. And to him, the reason he had to kill Gabe was entirely irrelevant. So, on February 11th, 1987... Tommy would get Gabe into a warehouse filled with weed he was telling him he wanted to broker a deal with on. Once, he, uh, once Gabe had entered the warehouse, Tommy stepped out and put a few rounds into his head with an automatic. Those around him helped load the body up into, into Tommy's trunk, where he was then brought to Arthur Kill's landfill on Staten Island and buried deep, properly this time. Tommy had just done a favor for the most powerful man he worked for. Things were looking up for him. Through his work... Tommy had come to know a few people and even took a liking to many. One in particular was Frank Gangi. 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 I say Gangi. Gangi is like a nickname for your grandma. <laughs> oh, Gangi. Oh, you Gangi. Mem, mem. I, hey, 
no, boys. Oh. Are you here to see Tommy? Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Is that you, Frank Gengi, the mobster? They said you had a soft voice, but. <laughs> That's right. It's me, Frank Gengi. Oh, my God. All these mobsters. I made, I made you penny candy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I knew I loved you, Gengi. I knew it. Oh, I love you, too, boys. Let me. <laughs> Let me kiss your cheeks. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Frank actually sheets. was kind of like a tall, wiry, creepy-looking dude in general uh, at this time. And he had come to know Tommy through drug dealing, of course, Coke specifically. Frank actually approached Tommy initially with the uh, because he had heard he was good to deal with to ask Tommy for money because he owed some people money. But Tommy doesn't work like that. Tommy basically said, I don't, I'm not a lender. I'm not going to give you any money. But here's what you can do if you want to earn me some money and earn you some money as well. Get it on the Coke business. Start dealing. And he hooked him up with one of his main Coke dealers that he would then borrow Coke from, sell, and then that money would go to that Coke dealer, and then that money would go to Tommy afterward. And that's kind of how he worked off his debt. Frank uh, did really well with that. And he wasn't actually a full-on mafia member either. But he had worked with them often enough that they knew and trusted Frank. He wasn't just somebody that came out of nowhere looking for money from Tommy. He had been sent to Tommy for money because people knew Frank and trusted him. Tommy had also taken a liking to him for one reason or another. He always paid on time and brought him quite a good amount of money by being a dealer for him. And those he liked, he wanted to bring closer. Tommy's way of paying it forward, kind of. Frank had come to know Tommy rather intimately as well and described Tommy as, quote, a living, breathing monster, end quote. Yeah, that's why his version of paying it forward is getting you further ensnared in the world of terrible (laughs) crime doing. Yeah, Yeah, I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to get you rich, but also make you a horrible criminal. Don't worry about it. You'll never be able to run away. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it's it's a good if you think about it, it's a kind of a good way to secure yourself. On the I, you know what? I guess that's true. If if they're gonna if you're gonna go down and they're gonna bring you down, they're gonna have to go down as well. And that's probably a lot of way the way Tommy thought. But as Frank said, Tommy to him was a living, breathing monster. That killing for Tommy wasn't something he did as part of the job, but more that Tommy being paid for uh, being paid to kill was a bonus for Tommy. That he would kill whether or not he was in the mafia. And Frank really, truly believes that. But Tommy liked Frank and, Frank. and Frank was making good money through Tommy. And so he continued to befriend him. But Frank would also prove a problem in uh, the future for Tommy. Just not quite yet. What? Tommy was about to put... What does yeah, that mean? That's Tommy- so ominous. Yeah. Well, like I said, we're going to meet a couple of characters in this episode. Can I... Uh, can I- yeah, you know what please. this means, right? I know. Look, the fact that you said that, I know exactly what this means. I'm, I, tell me, hit me with your theories. Um, you think Frank flips? Frank? Him? No, I think Frank cheats with Celeste. Oh my god! And that's what that's where this goes. I know. Look, I told you this is drama. You guys don't see it, but I know this to be true. So Tommy is a or Frank is is a drug dealer or is a drug like user, right? Uh, Frank is a drug user, yes. Yes, and, and, and he is in with Tommy. Drugs plus drugs equals Celeste and Frank behind Tommy's back. I'm letting you know what's about to happen. Okay, you're you right kind of close. I, I may have Told had... you! I'm, you're kind of close, and I'll, 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 I'll rectify that, because I actually, as I was looking at the notes, I actually had to tweak a couple things, because I realized I wrote the wrong thing down. But don't worry, you're really close. Am I? You are very close. Uh, so, but first, but first, Tommy liked to put the people he liked and trusted and wanted to make sure he could trust them even further through a test. Always wanted to test their loyalty, trust, 
it was earned with Tommy, not just given. And oh, he was about to no. Put- oh, no. He's going to bring Frank in even more. Frank's going to see some crazy shit. <laughs> Hook up with Celeste. Celeste is going to tell the cops. Oh, my God. I see it as clear as day. Tommy, you big dummy. <laughs> so, a test was put forth for Frank. You see, a man named Talal Siksik had been fingered as a rat. Sick Tommy. Sick sick. I want to say it's sick sick. There was also a lot of dealings with um, uh, other types of, of organized crime in this city. This is a there cartoon. Was a bunch of, this is a cartoon world that we're there talking was, about. There was um, Colombians and uh, Israelis uh, specifically that were doing a ton of organized crime in the same area. And they often worked together with the mafia uh, in the town. And this guy, however, had been fingered as a rat. Somebody who had been feeding information to, to the feds. And uh, if Tommy hated anything, it's betrayal and rats. He loathed them. And two of Tommy's associates had Talal captured and handcuffed to a chair with tape over his mouth in apartment 1A at 2807 Kings Highway and East 28th Street. Jesus. Yeah. Here, he was going to test Frank's loyalty. He brought Frank to the apartment where both the associates were waiting with the man tied down to the chair. When they walked into the apartment, Talal was beaten, battered, and clearly scared for his life. But without much thought, almost instantly upon walking into the apartment, or discussion at all, Tommy walked over, pulling out his gun, and shot him twice in the head right above his ear. Damn, he's seen it now. Frank's seen it all. Tommy, you big dummy! Frank got brought in too far! Yep, Frank knew it. Frank, uh, or should I say, looking over to Frank, Tommy asked him to help him move the body to the bathtub. Frank was petrified at this point. He had seen people killed, but never like that. Frank was afraid, and he had never seen anyone killed quite as coldly, but he obeyed Tommy. Placing the body face down in the tub, Tommy then would take out a hacksaw meant for autopsies, and he handed it to Frank, and his his Mickey Mouse voice said the following, Jesse. Ahem. (laughs) <laughs> I want you to get undressed, get in the tub with him, and cut him into six pieces. <laughs> oh, my fucking God. Why did he do this? This is, like, not the greatest test. Frank froze in place and stuttered, telling Tommy after a few moments of silence that he couldn't do it. Has anyone ever passed bottom. that fucking test? Yeah, <laughs> uh, not really. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um... But Frank, like I said, Frank froze up. He was clearly petrified and denied it. He didn't, wouldn't do it. There was a little bit of arguing between the two of them, a little bit of bickering before Tommy relented and decided to do it himself while Frank watched. Jesus. So Tommy went to the bathroom, removed all of his clothing and got naked, neatly folded all of his clothing before placing this them down. This is some crazy Hannibal shit. We're like, a yep. dude, he's bare ass naked in yep. a bathtub with running water, cutting up a body. Yep. What a sight fo- that must have been. God yeah. damn. Yeah. It's, uh, again, he's a, he's a monster. Oh, he died he to be able to see that. Monster. Just kidding. Like, he just killed this dude, and now just right into the tub with the body still warm. You c- I can't even imagine seeing it. So he got down, stripped naked, and then stepped into the bathtub and ran the water at a steady flow, not too weak or not too strong, to have the blood wash down with it steadily, a pattern we talked about just a little while ago. With no hesitation in his movement, Tommy then began to dismember the body with the, quote, expertise of a butcher, end quote. Arms, then legs, then head, and then torso. Once dismembered, he would place all the body parts into bags, and the bags into the trunk brought in by his associates. Once done, 
he would take a long shower, ensuring all the blood was off of him and rinsed out of the tub and was cleaned before getting dressed and taking the body and his associates out to the bird sanctuary to bury it. Frank was told, uh, Frank was then told by Tommy to drop them off in a little area and come back in 45 minutes to pick them up. He didn't question. He did it, but not before going to a bar and drinking very, very heavily. I get it. What I get seen. it. Yeah. yeah holy shit. <laughs> it's, I mean, I can't imagine. I just can't imagine being Frank and seeing all of that stuff. I granted you're in, you're already deal with crime and stuff, but you're not in the mafia. You're probably doing side jobs and you've maybe seen a couple of dudes shot here and there, but it's always in the chaos of something happening and it doesn't, it's not as personal as what he saw. And then all of a sudden you literally see a, a serial killer at work. Like, that is exactly what it yeah, was. And it let's got be clear, Dexter, when, when, when you think of the expertise of a butcher, you think about watching a show on Food Network where, like, the yes. guy cuts between the bones and knows exactly how to, like, cut and, like, you know, like, uh, filet or whatever that is where you, like, open up a chicken. Yeah, the yep. payard. Yeah. Yeah, like, y- Just, you, you kind of get the idea that, you know, Tommy was like this. He would arm, he knew exactly where to lop it off real quick. Oh, like, yep. I bet that would be terrifying to watch like lifting the arm in such a way that looks like it would if the person was alive would hurt and then him just treating it like a slab of meat yeah that's exactly how it comes off and it that's horror i can't imagine like i'd be fucked up beyond reason and frank was equally fucked up um so he went off and he drank very heavily that night uh when he came back uh, as told 45 minutes later uh tommy actually did ask if he had been drinking because he could smell the alcohol on him and frank said yes um, but Tommy said nothing after. I'd that. be like, "Fuck what, yeah, dude! What the hell do you think <laughs> I just did?" <laughs> what he'd seen had completely changed Frank, and quite frankly, <laughs> traumatized him. <laughs> Ayo. In the manner of Frank, it traumatized him. In a manner of Frank, it definitely traumatized yeah. him. After picking them up and everyone going home, Frank would then take the next step towards Tommy's ultimate undoing. He would then meet up with a woman named Phyllis. And for the next day and night, on a coke-fueled oh, binge, no. they would fuck on and off constantly. I was close enough! Close you enough! You were very close. Close enough! Finding himself quite fond of that the one that Tommy had threatened. He grew very, very close to, uh, to Phyllis. This is, like, the perfect... I, if, I was a, if I was a cop, like a FBI-type, DEA-type thing, how often is the plan just, like, wait till they fuck it up? Just wait. Just wait till one guy who knows something has sex with a girl who knows something, and then it just happens. Like, are they doing work? It drives me crazy. So they are doing... The thing is, like, again, I'm leaving out most of what the FBI are doing because that's just a whole nother story in itself. They are doing... I, I have to give it to Jim Hunt, man. Like, he is doing everything in his power to get in. The problem is cracking into that circle is fucking impossible. He is desperately, constantly asking to have meetups with Tommy because he, he keeps trying to uh, push off that um, he has a ton of, of marijuana that he wants to offload to Tommy. And he wants to sell Tommy all this marijuana and he wants to make a deal, but he has to make a deal within a person. But everybody he's dealing with is like, no, Tommy doesn't do that. No, that's not how Tommy works. Uh, I, can't, I can't get you a meeting with Tommy. I can get you a meeting with this other higher up that works for Tommy, but I can't get you a meeting with Tommy himself. And they are just desperately trying to, 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 to do anything they can. And the fact that Tommy just 
does everything he can to make sure that they can't get any info on him with the white noise in the car and not talking about business and making sure he's covering his mouth and talking in whispered tones and never being uh, easy to track and follow around, always has a different car. Like, they're, what can you do? And that's that's actually kind of something very scary to read about is, like, if somebody is doing everything in their power to cover their tracks, what can you do? Yeah. I mean, in, in 2018, there's many things you can do, but in... Right, but in 1987. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. I, I don't I don't know enough about police work in those days. Yeah. And the thing is, the night he went and killed and got and watched this guy, um, it is brought up that he was being watched that night, but they lost him. They were trying to follow him, but they lost him. So he kind of Tommy had a bit of luck in that he got away from the cops when he was going to take care of this guy at the warehouse. It's almost better. It's uh, almost worse that he was able to, though. That he was able to get away? Yeah, because if he if he had been taken in that day, if they had just been, like, tracking him or he, like, found out and he got wigged mm-hmm. out, the whole thing with Frank never would have happened. Yeah. The problem is Tommy still has another five or so years, I think. No, another seven, eight, yeah. nine. Uh, he's got another three to four years before he's caught. So he's got another three to four years before things go down. And if things don't go down the way they're about to go down that we're going to talk about in the next episode... It's possible Tommy could have gone on for X more number of years before God. technology caught up with him. The, the, the thing that makes Tommy scary, outside of the fact that he is clearly a monster, a soulless monster who enjoys killing too much, is just how uh, how he got away with it for so long. And that it wasn't even necessarily him that got him caught, just a few bad, poor judgments on people that he thought he could trust. Yeah, that's crazy. It's it's super duper scary. Um, so at this point in the Mafia where, where that wraps up, Tommy is as, as big as he's going to get. He has done an incredible favor for for the uh, for Messino, Joe, Joe the Gentleman, uh, who is head of the Bonanno family, and he is now uh, the go-to assassin for all five crime families. When they want somebody killed and removed, they always ask the the Messino and the Bonanno family if Tommy can do it. He is the guy, the number one assassin. And he now Tommy, at this point, has three different houses and these two different bars. He has a house that's, like, very big and elaborate, a small one that's kind of tucked away, and another one that's more for business than anything else. Like, he is a man with power and wealth. And everything he ever was was looking for when he started doing this, he has stepped onto the throne that he wanted. The next step for him would be head of a family, but you kind of get the impression that that's not really what he wanted. He just wants to he kill dudes. Very, yeah. He, yeah, he was very, very happy. He likes right what he here. likes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Frank Gangy specifically believes that Frank, uh, that Tommy killed um, over 100 people, but the... Uh, the FBI and DEA believes it was more like over 60 people, which is still ridiculous. That's not, not like a small enough number for me to be like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Even, well, because again, he was sentenced for 18. Now they found uh, 19 bodies, but they couldn't identify one of them because it was so old. But they found, they were able to nail him for 18, which is still a ridiculous number. Like if you look at some serial killers in the past, like they only get to, and I say only very, not not quite as lightly as I should be, but... Uh, or saying it lighter than I should, rather. But, like, most serial killers get upwards of, like, 6 to 10-ish before they're caught. And then this guy, nailed for 18, definitely close to uh, somewhere around 60, they believe. It's horrifying. But 
that's Tommy Patera, man. And that's going to have to wrap up part three. I could have done all of it in this part, but we would have been going for another hour or so. I, so I figured. can't even begin to figure out where this is. Like, I know where it's going, but you told me there's twists. And I hope I'm unprepared I for thought this. Well, I thought theory- we were like five seconds from the end of the story. But like now that I know that it's like a whole other hour, I'm like, Jesus Christ, what, what else happens to Tommy K? <laughs> My man Tommy K. I'm curious. So your theory right now is that Frank squeals to, to Phyllis and Phyllis squeals to the police. Yeah, or like the police gets involved and they have some dumbass no, idea mean, to get out of no, there. No, 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 no. This is this is one of those like uh uh this is like what happened to Clinton. Like where the friend got Monica Lewinsky to like give her the dress and stuff. Like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. This is gonna be one of those Frank and Phyllis are gonna convince Celeste to turn on Tommy. Interesting. Who boy? I don't know. I don't know what That's I think is going to happen. Gonna happen. I think it's going to be simpler. I think, I think Tommy's going to kill Frank. I think Frank's just going to be like, I saw him kill somebody. I was there. And then Phyllis is going to be like, he tried to kill me. And the police are going to be like, wear this wire. <laughs> That's what I think. Well, we'll find out next week. God the final damn. part of Tommy Patera, Tommy Karate, part three, the end, the fall, the fall of, uh, of maybe the greatest assassin in that area for, you know, the 80s. And uh, or late seventies, but Tommy would get a, few, a lot, uh, many, many more kills. And um, you know, Tommy, Tommy does, uh, you know, eventually show signs of a serial killer. He starts getting cockies, and he's been taking. Keep another thing that to, to, to keep note of that we'll talk about more next episode is that he was taking trophies from every one of his kills, every single one. He was taking a body part or a piece of their of the of their jewelry that they were wearing or something that he could take home and. Uh, Keep for his that own. is absolutely so. so weird. But like, I, I yep. I'm just like, I'm just like so like I know I know that like not everybody's like on board with the idea of us doing true crime all the time. You know, like I I know we've gotten a lot of positive feedback, but I know there's been some people. But like, mm-hmm. of all the fucking stories that we could have went, like you know, mostly we cover things that are like almost certainly false. And right. it's, like, so amazing to hear, like, all the crazy shit that people think, right? But this is, like, completely unbelievable, right? Like, this is, like, not how these yeah. stories go. This is the plot of, like, a movie that was made up that would be criticized for being too outrageous. This is, like, Smoke <laughs> and Aces level crazy. And it's true. Yeah, it's all true, which is insane. Um I will say, you know, talking about true crime, uh, last episode was one of our best received episodes in, in fastest listened to episodes. So thank you very much for that, everybody. We sincerely appreciate that. I'm very happy that uh, that you guys are really loving it. Um, and to address a quick question that, that we, I've been getting as well, but people who want to know about um, the Indie PopCon live show, if that's going to be uploaded, it is not going to be uploaded. Um, that specific episode was a little shorter on purpose, and we spent most of the panel, or at least half of the panel, listening to uh, audience stories and, t- and kind of riffing on them. That was really, really great. So if, if you're one of the ones that was out at Indie PopCon that came to, go s- to come see us, thank you very much. That was super, super fun. Uh, Zach Baggins became my arch nemesis. Apparently, we're definitely so. You brought it up. You kept bringing it up, I not know. us. I know, I know. I got really upset. I got really heated. You are not a fan of Zach. We're definitely. I we're, am Zach. I think you're really good. I think you're. <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean? I think you're really good. Uh, don't listen to these two guys, Zach. I think you're talented. I'm not, and I want to fight ghosts too. I want to be a ghost fighter. I'll, a ghost fighter. I love All right. That. Well, that's it. For episode eight here on Chiluminati Podcast, Tommy Patera Part Two. Thank you 
all so much for listening. Hell yeah, babies. Um, we have, yeah, man, we've cracked over 300 five-star reviews on iTunes, so thank you so much. That is huge for us. Uh, if you guys are enjoying it, make sure you just leave a positive review wherever you're listening it to, to it. Um, all the people asking for merch, we've, we've we started down yes. that path. Yeah, we, we've started down that path, and keep your ears and eyes peeled for that on our Twitter or even on the subreddit or on the R&R, our episodes. We'll announce when they go live when we do the next episode. Um, just sincerely thank you for the support. This has been such a fun time, and I'm, I'm excited to continue on. Uh, and thank you to you guys, Mr. Alex and Mr. Jesse, for joining It's shocking. It's shocking how many episode. people are listening to this. Continue to tell your friends. This is, this is, this is a yeah. delightful, completely out-of-genre thing for me to do. So I thank you for asking me to be on the show. It's good vibes. It's great. I'm loving it. Um, you want to talk to us? You can uh, Illuminati Pod on Twitter, Illuminati Podcast subreddit, uh, Faciane A on Twitter, Jesse Cox on Twitter for Jesse and Mathis Games for myself. Um, the subreddit is still awesome. There's still some really cool stories. And going I lurk. On in there, and I, and I lurk. Appreciate it. I'm in there. I read like every. Yeah, he post. does. He talks about it all the time. I, yeah, I read the post too. And if you uh, if you have suggestions, we have a proper suggestions thread now, so you can just go ahead and throw all your suggestions in there if you want to see us cover something very specific. Um, I will say that once we are out of the the Tommy Patera story, the next episode is back to some weird stuff, uh, a weird stuff of a story that actually happened. So that'll be fun to can't talk wait. About. Yeah, and I'll probably I'll Thank try and so throw together some uh, mini episodes for you guys too. Oh, yeah, definitely. If you want to do mini-episodes, if you want more mini-episodes, we're, we're going to have some more for you coming up as well. And we will see you next time on Chaluminati. Bye. Bye.